Welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and today on the show, we're talking about Ian Cameron Esselman's Orb, Scepter, Throne. This is the fourth uh, in our mini-series covering the novels of the Malazan Empire, and with me uh, on this whole journey has been the star of YouTube himself, Iskar <laughs> Jarek. <laughs> Peter, what's up? This is going to be an exciting one. I've been pumped for this for a while. Me too, and let me tell you why. So we were actually just talking we were all, we were actually just talking about God is not willing before we got on uh, on Mike but I told you you know it's like I read the 10 main books the, those I read those 10 books and interweaved in them I put in the first three Esselman books and then mm-hmm. I basically started the reread podcast is like kind of pretty much the timeline and I guess once I started the reread podcast I was like well I don't know if I want to go forward and I feel that way about Carcanus now I have this weird feeling I'm like well maybe I'll want to podcast about these things so if I read yeah. them now what is that mean for the shit you know what I mean yeah but like now that we're here I finally feel I was like so stoked because Orb Scepter Throne became the first new Malazan book I've read since you know I finished the crippled god four or five years ago or something yeah totally and I told I told you I was tweeting about it absolutely loved the book had a fucking blast it was such a treat such a blast it was a great book to come back into the new experience so I know you've read the book before how was revisiting it for you I forgot how much I loved it I just had so much fun I you know was uh I picked it up and it was kind of chunky. I don't, I forget how many pages. It's like four or 500 pages. It's a little chunkier than the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I was like a little bit worried, but man, when I got into even just the prologue, it just was a page turner. Mm. And, you know, I just started jamming through it and there's no kind of dead dead wood in there i didn't feel like you know how mm-hmm. some of the other books there's always like the the slog or the bits where you're like yeah that part's whatever this part's badass you know what i mean this it was just like yeah i'm into that one i'm into this storyline you know they go to moonspawn i'm into that you know so i i loved all the bits and pieces you mentioned the moonspawn thing just one of the many times i was like surprised in the book you yeah. know and that was just like this feeling, obviously, I haven't had since I've been in this reread land, where like you're making new discoveries when you're rereading the books. But it's like just a totally fucking different ball game. that like first time you're like, fucking shit, it's this thing, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, totally. What a what a trip. What a trip. Totally. You know, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to working through the book more specifically in a sec. But what do you think? Maybe do you think just all bo- all of Malazan's better when we're in Darugistan? I just feel like it's a soft theory I'm pitching, you know? No, I'm, I'm into it. I, I support it. I'm here for that theory because I think, I don't know if it's because we're like predisposed to be Genobacchus oriented because that's like Gardens of the Moon. And then you kind of go to Deadhouse Gates and it's all these new characters. You're freaked out. Then you like come back to Memories of Ice and you're like, oh, finally, like something. I know these people. I know this place like you know the players and the geography and stuff so it always just feels like kind of coming coming home and you're just you, you feel like you have more of a dog in the fight because those are your your people right and same with the characters the people in Darugistan, both sides the actual locals and the bridge burners and stuff you're mm. just like Dude, those are my peeps for me i think there's this element you know i love toll the hounds and mm. i think toll the hounds is a like a very sad book in some ways right oh, yeah. Yeah. But and it's not like the people in Toll the Hounds are having a good time in Darugistan. Yeah. Most of them yeah. are like, you know, really struggling to start a new life or something. But I guess compared to Seven Cities, Letharis, Colance, like 
Darujistan seems like a place some people are at least living and enjoying their lives or at least having a good time, somewhat chill at all, you know? Yeah. Like, if you told me I was moving to, you know, Erlatan, I don't know if I'd be that stoked, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd be stoked to move to Rujistan, but at least like there's like a sense of culture. I feel like there's a such a rich sense of place. I don't know. It just it feels like one of the most developed locations in the whole setting. Yeah, and it's more mellow and stable. You know, it's like it seems like there is politics in Rujistan, but it's kind of like the political. I guess Orb Scepter Thrones a little bit different, where it's more consequential. But just in general, it's like kind of like these noble, these nobles doing their noble courtly, you know, shenanigans, whereas like the politics and all these other places are much more existential in nature, like what's going to happen with the, you know, in black coral and stuff like it's like, you know, the that was all politics, too. But it's of a much more uh, consequential thing than just these kind of rich people being super catty about who gets what trade contracts. And so I think it just kind of lends itself more to just like the nuts and bolts of people getting on with owning a bar and trying to run a forge and do all that stuff. Well, that's what I love. And I loved it in Toll the Hounds. And I love it here. That's just like part of the plot line is just like, well, they own a bar. That's their, yeah. They're just hanging out owning a bar, you know? And it's not like, okay, we have to go across seven cities to climb the mountain and throw the ring in Mount Doom or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not of that scale. It's just like, you know. Totally. Uh, they're the just city. trying to get on with life. And it's like these, you know, they're being forced into all these things. And it's like, those aren't the, that's not their ultimate goal. Their ultimate goal is to like chill and drink beer. Yeah. And that's why I love that stuff. I've always loved the Barathol stuff. And I think yeah. it's, how much I've loved Toll the Hounds, I do think kind of teed me up to love this book so intensely. Yeah. I think it has a few, you know, I, I don't know. I th- I don't think it's a perfect book, you know, sure. I think, the, but I think the shortcomings I feel that are in this book are like kind of just shortcomings kind of in the other books or sure. maybe how Esselmont's writing. But um, yeah. I do think it's easily, I feel easily the strongest of the books we've read so far. You know, he hits his stride and it's kind of like the best of all the little bits and pieces that he's kind of trotted out in the, in the various books up till now. I love Stonewielder and think that's like a hugely underrated book. And I feel like we had a great chat about that one and it's really mm. good. But, th- you know, that one I would say is like the most underrated. I would say this one vies for like just being the flat out best, you know, just because it's action packed and fun and hit some cool themes, too, which, you know, he's not known for the theme stuff, but I thought that was in there. So um, I, well, I'd love to hear more about what themes you're t- you're that resonated with you. I, I, I did want to touch. Yeah, well, no, let's go there. What, what themes are you cooking on? I don't know. It wasn't super deep thematic, but I did like the whole uh, what's her name, Usec, and the whole tracking down of the, you know, the the traveler storyline and getting um, low. Fuck, the book's so good. Fuck. Just remembered everything in the book. Keep going. God. Totally. Yeah. And like, you know, but that whole thing of like, you know, she's kind of coming to grips with her own arrogance and being just like a total selfish person and starts to like really get perspective on life. So there's that whole thing of her kind of being a mirror almost of like the traveler side where he's like all super mellow, but then like comes back into the world and she's like so worldly and becomes more philosophical. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that good at literary themes and stuff, but I did think there was some stuff that got me, you know, contemplating and introspecting a bit. I agree. There was, there is meat on the bone. Let the record show. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I just want to quit like, bro, the Segula being in this book and being what they are in this book fucking blew my mind. I mean, I just got to say, up until this point, the Segula are 
like I would say essentially nothing, you know, yeah. or like essentially, and I've always kind of not liked them for that reason, because I feel like they're just like, oh, they're like super badass and they have masks and they're just like, they got this fucking system. It sounds like it's out of a game or an anime or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, but then it's like, here they come and it's like, they step on the stage and they're just like fucking human and real. And they have this culture and like, they have this struggle and they're all these different people and it's about this tradition. And then the way Dasum's interacting with them and then the way they yeah. come to serve in the city, it just fucking rules, kicks ass so hardcore. Oh Loved yeah, it. I love it. This is the Segula book. This is why, you know, and it's kind of detached from the kind of main arc so far. I feel like like this is almost feels like a side story. It's not like super kind of tied in with Stone Wielder and stuff or even Return of the Crimson no, Guard. Totally feels like it's, which I, well, I was glad for. I'm, I'm yeah. not a huge Crimson Guard fan, so I'm glad that we got away and are just essentially doing a totally separate thing. Like, I think this could be a jumping off point for like an adaptation for that reason, because you could just show this badass Segula stuff and mm. then start zooming out from there and go, oh, let's in- investigate those people who like own the bar in the movie. Right. And then, mm-hmm. oh, my God, they're part of this like whole big thing. And you could like start zooming it out to the bridge burners. You could start doing that, like with the Gardens of the Moon stuff and like. Because it is. It's just so badass. The Segula are, are way deeper than what you hear up to this point where they're kind of like window dressing. They're actually a really sad story, too, it's right? Sa- it's are- like They're like sad, you know? Dude, Ugh. it's depressing because you think of the Segula as being like the epic badasses and that, you know, it's the sword fighting thing. But it's like they are totally like and I love that little bit when he talks about the last first, the guy who like put the blood smear on Jan or Yans. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, mask and he goes yeah like it's better if you like don't know the backstory or, or whatever and it is because it's like they here's these like noble honorable they follow this like intense moral code and whatever nobody understands it outside of their own thing which is creates all this hilarious comedy in the in the books but you know it's like they're like total legit stand-up honorable people it seems like and they're just being absolutely used and abused for these heinous you know things and the whole moranth's crossover oh, is just bro epic. i completely forgot about that when the moranth t- like totally uh bro awesome awesome shit and the moranth up until now had mostly been like described and we really never even saw them or saw them in fighting you know it's just like yeah. you would hear about them or they're moving the things or they have these munitions but like when that battle happens and they're on the fucking dragonflies and it's like oh man just fucking metal man and you just the dudes are just running up like two by two right and they're just like deuce this homie it's just absolute carnage and it's like you you straight up brought a knife to a to an <laughs> an explosion fight and it's it's just such a well-written sequence too they really play this tension because it's from that because all of a sudden you shift to the malazan point of view and you're and i'm like why the fuck are we why are we here why is this yeah. the perspective of the battle you know and yeah. then you really understand, like, when everything kind of goes to shit, so. Totally, and, like, the whole dome being impervious to the munitions oh, and all oh, that. It's just, yeah. like, dude, there's so much juicy lore and backstory. Like, that's why I think, even though it's action-packed, the the people who love all the backstory stuff and want to know about Bargas and Morant, they're going to love it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's one of those things that... Um, it's something I've learned that is is it's funny because I think some people are into Malazan specifically for this, mm-hmm. you know, just like the deep lore, just how these things, if you really want to pick at them, you yeah. know, they're going to have all these weird connections and they're going to have all this stuff. You know, I'm not a big picker. I'm not, I've never I'm mostly yeah. I usually just take it as I see it and I'm like, cool, you yeah. know. 
But I was reading about pe- what people's other experience reading the book, and I just learned a bunch of stuff, I guess, just went straight over my head during reading it. And I was yeah. like, oh, man, that's really cool. Cool, cool. You know, <laughs> That's why it's fun reading the, uh, the stuff again. You know what I mean? Because I did. I picked out a lot of stuff, especially ice kind of lends itself to you going back to these like habits that you had before you read like the Book of the Fallen stuff where you kind sure. of are – destination reading you're trying to find out what happens because it is fast paced and there is all the you know culminating towards something and there's some kind of a you know big thing that's gonna happen and whatever and so but they're like you know there is a lot of like just little kind of like breadcrumb and nugget references back to erickson stuff too and you know it's uh i feel like they did a a good job of kind of connecting the dots even the little stuff like what's his name fist kess which is like a total small thing and stepping you know it's like you kind of get some of those little linkages to gardens Mm. of the moon and other cool stuff so yeah man it's just there's like all of these references that clearly are i would say mostly pretty meticulously maintained yeah i will say here's here's a mild pet peeve that i'm airing on this show um you know how some you know i think there's a lot of hubbub made about like how intricately crafted the series is like yeah. uh, Book of the Fallen and, and like and how everything's so purposeful and all this stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's mostly true, but I also think there's just some stuff that's totally not that and like 100% not part of some grand scheme and just like there's also just a bunch of fuck-ups, you know? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. and listen, I, I don't even say that to put them on blast. Like in yeah. my mind's, it's like 3 million words. Like, of oh, course, yeah. there's going to be a bunch of fuck ups and there's going to be some words that aren't like a part of some grand scheme, you know? Totally. I, I just think sometimes there's like a bit too much of a haboo made about it, you know? Yeah, they some people want to uh, kind of thrust them into ascendancy with their ability to like do all this subconscious dot connecting. I think sure, there is sure. a ton of that and there's a lot of breadcrumbs oh. and you notice that going through and stuff. But like there is a ton of it. It's just yeah. not 100 percent, you know, but like no, 100,000 percent because he said in his Facebook post, I don't know if somebody asked him, but he wrote a Facebook post or I don't know if he wrote it and said he wanted to do it to F with people or what, but it was like about the whole net furrow thing. And like, there's all those like on the old Malazan empire forums and stuff like that. There's all those people like trying to decode the net furrow gibberish from told hounds. I think when he like mm. makes this big profound statement and everyone like is taken aback and quiet and it's like written as gibberish and people are like, Oh, and trying to like, and he wrote and he's like, yeah, that was total like BS. <laughs> you know, he's like, out of that, he's like, you guys are like, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill. He's like, that was literally straight gibberish. There's no like red ground there. So you're a thousand percent right for sure. Yeah. Uh, Just, just a, you know, just a mild annoyance, but I do, but now anyway, back to the, back, back to this. So let's get on, let's get on some of these individual plot lines. Sure. I don't even know if it's an annoyance. I just think it's kind of funny. Let's get on some of these plot lines and crawl through the book, you know? Um, Let's do it. So first we check in with a lot of the people that it's so fun. I, 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 not yet. You know, it's like on the main show, I like host and I feel like I have to have this like I'm like moderating or like I have this facade that I know what's going on. You know, but like, I just feel like here, I just like, don't know what's going on. A lot of stuff goes over my head and I kind of just enjoy the swords and when people turn into dragons, you know? Yeah. Welcome to my world, my friend. That's how I am. 90% of it goes over my head. If I can latch onto something cool, I, that's a bonus. That's where I'm at. I'm just vibing, but on the main show, I got to like, 
host and you know all this yeah. stuff it's like totally. totally this is different. your kickback time bro this is like your free pra- your free pass like vacation and, time bro and that's why i honestly think i honestly think i just enjoy reading the Esselbaum books more i think first off they're just more my bag i just enjoy a breezier actiony more story you know yeah and totally. i also don't have to do like this preparation for the show i don't got to be like you know there's not gonna be three paragraphs about whether my whole life has been meaningless and yeah, there's exactly. just, I'm just going to like chill out, read a book. And then, you know, it's, it's just a different stakes. It's, it's a welcome change of pace. Yeah. Agreed. So we catch up with some of the different characters we met before. Uh, and we start and Cole's on the council and uh, he's yeah. one of the first people. What'd you make of counselor Cole seeing him in action? I always liked counselor Cole. I liked when he brode out with Ganos. I liked the kind of gushier bits of Cole from memories of ice when he's like my being out with uh, Marulio. I like this cause it's kind of the progression aspect. Cause here he was this like kind of broken man, alcoholic, right. Then he sure. like found some purpose and now he's like kind of this almost elder statesman kind of thing. Elder statesman energy. Yeah, because you got Torvald there who doesn't know what the heck he's doing in the council and all that stuff. So he kind of like took him under wing for a minute there. But he's just like still the irreverent kind of trash talker, too. And I loved like how indignant he was when he gets summoned to the hall and there's like that crazy mask guy and stuff. So I like I like Cole. He's just uh, he's my kind of dude. He's like the kind of salt of the earth kind of rich guy that I, that I can actually tolerate. I like Cole and I really loved a lot of the council stuff. We'll have to talk about the legate more, but I feel like. Yeah. Just a fun, great villain, you know, loved, loved him, loved yeah. the mass. And then I love at the end when we get to that, he's like reincarnating and I guess like a jagged from a past life, you know, yep. just great stuff. Just great stuff. So good. Yeah, totally. One thing I here's a, here's something that peeved me about Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I enjoy Cole and I, I like I, I agree. It's really interesting to see where he went from Guardians of the Moon to here. Do you know I mean, so yeah. he followed him on this thing. I will say take Cole's relationship with uh, Reba or you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy this. It's fine. But I think this is emblematic of some of Esselman's shortcomings sometimes. Uh-huh. Where I feel like he's just gesturing towards a character dynamic we're familiar with as readers of, and consumers of media. Yeah. And instead of actually like fleshing out a character dynamic or establishing who these people actually are, it's just like, oh, you get it. It's this type of thing, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I don't feel like I walked away like I I was. Yeah. So that was a frustration I had. And I don't think that's isolated to this. I think sometimes that's like a template versus an actual kind of. Yeah. And and like that that memorable of a relationship. So (laughs) and then and then there are these other characters that I think he draws really well, you know, Mm. but just like, for example, hot take. I think he writes a better Scorch and Left. I just love Scorch and Left in this book and I preferred them, you know? Yeah. Straight up. They're like some of the best parts. They're like, that's his, uh, I, I don't know. I guess there's a bunch in the book of the fallen, but he's kind of like the Dathanar and Prazak. There's actually a, a group like that in the, a duo like that in Erickson's new book too. But those guys are always like the fun aspect of the book. And I think he does these two kind of up at the top with, of any of the books. It's just really good. Scorch and Left are so good in this book. And then at the end with them killing, it's just with the crossbow, so fucking good. They're impactful too. They're like that kind of bumbling idiot that actually ends up like kind of being in the right place at the right time all the time and like bumble their way somehow, like right into the mix of everything always. So It's like absolutely perfect, you know? And I also, the whole book, I was like, well, why are we following Scorch and Left right now? I mean, like, I like them all. I'm glad they're in the story having a good time reading about them. 
Yeah. You know, but then like, you know, and that's that. There it is. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what, what what did you make of the legate? Did you, uh, I, I wanted to put a pin on that. You enjoy the legate as a villain? I, I really liked him. I thought he was an epic badass villain. I love the bat, you know, like the kind of reveal piece. He's got like the kind of Panion little uh, backstory a little bit. But, sure. You know, but the I like how they were like these kind of gnarly purveyors of like super hardcore magic and like almost impossible to take down. They were like super OP back in the day. And there's all that stuff in the moon spawn about, you know, his rule and just the super shadiness. Plus, it's just, dude, again. The ice stuff and this one in particular just seems like so adaptable. Like how badass would it be to see that like tomb scene, right? Where he's like, and or even when he takes over like the Jeshin Lim character, it's like seeing the face mask kind of soul steel skull stuff would be dope. (laughs) Dude, the face mask stuff is so good. Yeah. I love seeing it. A little grin, you know. Oh, man, it's just I can just see it in my mind's eye. And it's Mm -hmm. just a blast. I think he does a great job describing that stuff. And that like, I don't know. I just feel like that's what I really loved about the character in a way is I just feel like the mask is such like a thing. And I also, you know, obviously a recurring theme in the Book of the Fallen has to do with like elder powers and these elder things that are like perennial and forever problems for mankind you know be it war be it pestilence or these things you know these ancient powers that keep happening again and again and these cyclical problems that humanity goes through tyrants rising and falling you know totally and i think the mask and putting it in that way about reincarnation Mm -hmm. i think actually heightens that as a villain and, and talking about like oh the consolidation of power away from a council into an executive to talk about the right hot, like, you know, talk about a populist or talk about whatever, yeah. you know? And I think it's just, uh, I don't know, really resonated with me. I think it was, a, in addition to making an absolutely cool, badass villain, it like yeah. makes it a more meaningful villain to me. That's very cool. No, I, I love that. And I like, wouldn't even have ever connected the dots on that, but I think it's badass Cause that's exactly what happens. Right. Is that, and it's like kind of, especially if you layer in the context of like them having kind of withstood this Imperial takeover. Right. And they remain their kind of own little kind of Republic or something, yeah, right. Or a free from- city or whatever. Totally all to have it kind of stripped away. That's why I like the Eben stuff too. Right. Because as with like a lot of the stuff in, in Malazan, it's like he becomes this mouthpiece and whatever and is all oh, like so good, you know, but he kind of finds a way. And look, this guy wasn't like a great character. He's kind of a scumbag at the beginning. And, like you know, no, and he didn't no. want to pay his people. But like, you know, he finds a way to kind of like resist. He finds some humanity, like, you know, doesn't throw spindle under the bus when he kind of kept caught him reconning in the thing before they tried to blow up the the wall or whatever. Yeah, I know what you mean. And and so it's just it's kind of like that that whole recurring theme where it's like, you know, it it falls to like the regular dudes to to somehow find some cracks in these like super OP type of uh, problems that they're dealing with. Yeah. So let's talk about some regular dudes then. Um, So, of course, you mentioned uh, Spindle and uh, we we return to the Malazans here and the the bar and they got the basement thing going and then then Fisher's there, Diker's there, you know, you got the whole gang. 
Do you, uh, any takeaways with you? How do you feel about the squad? Do you enjoy returning to them? I love the squad. I'm a sucker for the bridge burners. That's what kind of originally wrote me in when I got into the books. I thought it was super weird. The like kind of, uh, curl sex change reappearance. That was a weird little thing that they had to deal with, right? That nobody even like batted an eye that curl was a old lady when they got attacked or whatever. Right. Sure. Yeah. I love the bridge burner stuff. I thought we got a lot more of spindle. I feel like then you get some spindle in toll the hounds but it's a lot more heavy it feels like they're like saving you know dying kids and stuff so this one was much more like the kind of band of brothers kind of irreverent bantery type of spindle that that i you know really enjoy <laughs> so it's kind mm-hmm. of the more light-hearted version and i, I i'm a big picker and blend fan like anytime you get that kind of relationship aspect explored i love that i loved when they like almost when blend almost kills barathol and then they're like whoa whoa and they're like you know like hey that's actually like we've uh we've done these crazy menages together i almost killed you <laughs> that was pretty hilarious yeah I too agree. I vibe with almost everything you said. I, I, I will add and build onto it, but I did want to quickly detract into the crawl thing for a second. Yeah. Because funnily enough, just last episode, we were talking about Polil and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the scene that when they're in the city and they kill her and all the stuff. Yeah. And we I guess we were talking about her gender. And then I made me think about uh, the errant who Mm -hmm. uh, I guess is also, you know, I guess canonically bi, you know? But, like, we were talking about whether the gods actually had a gender, had a sex, if they were just manifesting themselves in a certain way, you know? And we had this whole conversation last episode. Um, We'll see how much of it gets to air. And then I read this, and the Kroll thing is there, and it's like, it really twists your noggin, you know? Yeah. Um, about like, I've always liked the gods and how I feel like they're pretty metaphorical usually, you know, um, or at least they can be, sometimes they're not, but, and it's just like, well, I guess all the gods are trans, you know, fucking rock and roll, you know, like I don't know, but it's, I I guess it's cool. It twists my noggin and I like it, you know? I love it too. I don't know the answer, but there is like a lot of questions out there, right? Like even, uh, you know, I think in Carcanus, he's a woman for a while and then he is a dude again. And then here he's, you know, so I think it is just a kind of, I think they even comment on it at some point about they, how he, they they talk about it in the book. He goes back and forth and stuff. And, and he spent, you know, she spent a couple thousand years and then goes back and stuff. So it's uh it's gnarly, but I, I love that anyway, just cause it's like, you know, just more kind of, stuff to get you scratching your head like what the heck is is going on and it really is uh kind of i'm that's not my area of expertise by any means but it is kind of interesting to just see how how he plays around with that because erickson does it too in his books yeah yeah it's interesting to think about and i guess um i don't know i would say trans stuff is not really talked about in the series mostly you know um, yeah so i feel like it's at least something yeah um i don't know it was uh it was an interesting twist to read about and uh not even a twist, just a, an interesting... Uh, they just kind of r- throw ripple? it out ripple? there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very... not even there. Like, I don't feel like it's any kind of a commentary or it's even really explored. It was just like, hey, Kroll's a chick now, you know? Yeah, and it makes That's it, why it's interesting, because they're not saying anything. So it's up to you to go, what is this, you know? Yeah, it's... It, and I don't know. Honestly, I could talk about it forever. I'm very interested in these subjects. But, um, mm. you know, it kind of makes sense in a way. It's like, I guess, Kroll's transcended that type of thing, you know? Yeah. 
Totally. So, I like the curl stuff in general of just the, you know, whether regardless guy, girl or whatever, but just the whole idea of him like being basically dead. Somebody gets killed there. He kind of comes back, limited power. It's all the whole kind of relationship between people and gods that's still there that I always like to explore too. So yeah. it's fun. Love it. All right. So to get back onto some of the Bridge Burner stuff, topped what one of the few things I knew about this book before coming into it was that there were automaton robots in it, you know? Yeah. And, and I have to tell you, I was at least a little let down in that regard. I definitely, I, it's the only thing I knew. So I guess I just thought it would be a big deal. And uh-huh. it's kind of classically, it's like a, a very small part of the plot. That it's like, oh, oh, yeah. there's also a robot around and that'll be around in the finale for a second, but it's not really what the book's about, you know? Yeah, it doesn't go a lot of places. Doesn't go a lot of places. But I absolutely loved when they home alone the bar. And they yeah. like set up the traps and everything. Oh my God, so fucking good. Adaptability, right? Dude, I'm telling you, there's so many scenes. Like if my channel ever blows up and I make money, like I'm going to take it and I'm going to like hire one of these Malazan artists to like animate some of these scenes. Like even if it's just like a one minute thing of them like tearing up all these people who are attacking their bar or like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's so much good stuff like the blowing up of the Segula, right? Like yeah. that when they're fighting uh, or like traveler, like when he totally punks that dude at the beginning who comes up and thinks he's gonna, you know, take over and he's like, get out of your old man. Like there's just so much good adaptable stuff. And the bridge burner stuff is the best. That bar is like home to so many different uh, sets of shenanigans throughout the whole, just this one book. Oh yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's good. It's great that there's just kind of that home base in a way. I know we actually don't spend that much time there, but I feel like it kind of has that feeling regardless for the reader. It's kind of like our Phoenix Inn, right? Because we were there from the ground up instead of like you kind of enter the Rujistan and you kind of enter into the Phoenix Inn, which is already an established entity. This is one where, you know, that's kind of like our our space. I fully agree with that. Yeah, I do think there's something that the owner reads about it. Um, reader runs about it. Um, so also, speaking of the Phoenix Inn, Ralik Nam returns in this book, but is a pretty small presence, I would say. Yeah, he comes in and then he goes right back into the house, right? So he's barely been out of that uh, house for a while and he's like, I'm going to go hide back in, in the house. So he spent like a good chunk of the four or five million words of this series, like either taking a nap or, you know, going to and from his his preferred napping area. So I'd say I pretty much never enjoyed Ralik Nam. I don't <laughs> not, I don't not enjoy him like I like dislike other characters. I just feel like Ralik Nam's the epitome of the type of character who's like, well, guys, it's Ralik Nam. And then we don't spend any time with him. But like right. everyone acts like he's like a character we know and love, you know? Totally. That's Ruth Ann Bad's like classic joke. He said uh, Ralik Nam's claim to fame is that he slept in a in a treehouse for eight eight books. Yeah. Like, I don't know. And then, I don't know. That's a, that's a, speaking about bugbears I have about this series. I also feel like there's a lot of things. Esselmont does this too, where it's just like, I have no reason to care about this. And they're just telling me it's a big deal. And I don't think it's a big deal, but just then like 70 people will keep being like, Oh my God, this is such a big deal. And I'm like, bro, I don't give a shit. Like, let's get back to things I care about or like make me care about this in a different way. You know? Yeah. He's, funny because he's like kind of the the weak one in his relationship which that's pretty badass that they got into a relationship after they got out of that house and and all that stuff but then she becomes he like kind of hunts to her as being the representative of his family in the council and stuff sure. and then like her stuff was pretty badass right like her whole relationship with her daughter and chaining herself up that stuff's awesome loved all that stuff that's what it's going to go to next love Vorkan love her more that fucking Fuck Ralignam. What's going on with Vorkan? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm interested in her life. And Ty- Taya, the daughter, totally. 
super cool. I know some people aren't into her. I'm really into her. She's super cool. Would love to just, what's going on with that storyline? You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's do a whole mother-daughter book. I got nothing going on. Let's learn. You know? Right. No, that's badass. She was dope and uh, she's like a good villain because in Return of the Crimson Guard, she was there shady and being all uh, working stuff behind the scenes and sure, sure. doing all that shady shit with Lacine and stuff. But dude, I just love that mother daughter dynamic. And she's just such a vindictive, terrible, yeah. uh, you know, evil daughter. And like Borkin's actually like super badass and like so, so badass. I, I love it. And she kind of gets the one up, right? And totally like clowns are by the at the end and stuff. So that was pretty cool. But I feel like Taya is the exact type of villain I love, you know, mm. and I've started to learn. I was thinking about this recently with D&D games I was running, you know, yeah, I just maybe sometimes I enjoy an arch villain. Do you know what I mean? I just mm-hmm. don't. I like maybe sometimes I'm looking at you, Book of the Fallen. The morally gray stuff is overrated is sometimes yeah. my opinion. You know, hundred percent. Like, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a good, complicated story. But do you know what also I enjoy? Just you know, being able to hate someone, right? Yeah, I, I don't even hate her. It's just like she's like she's a villain in a '90s action movie sort of sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's just so obviously a villain. She just like does like there's all these scenes that essentially are only there to establish that she's like a super badass villain lady and watch out for her. You know, and yep. I love all of them. I eat them up. You know, they're more fun than some of some of the other scenes with characters who are like good and, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, it's interesting because she's like she is the unambiguous villain. You know what I mean? Even with the Legate, there's an argument to be made. And I think Envy tries to make it like, hey, philosophically, you know, everyone's getting oppressed on one level or another. Isn't it better? To blah, blah, blah. But it's like with Taya, nope, you're just like you evil girl. No, I, I fully agree. It's like the book never seriously argues that like, do you know what's bad? The democracy. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what's good? Consolidated power in a single individual. Do you mean it's just like the, the legate rolls up and from scene one, you're like, ah, this guy sucks. You know, yeah, you're like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> and every scene consecutively is just reinforcing that and then just like making him more. Uh, it's, it, I just enjoy it. You know, having a good time. Lo- liked both of the villains. I, I think there yeah. are. I don't know. There's a few other antagonistic forces, but I feel like they're the most villainous characters, you know? 100%. They're the obvious baddie of of the whole book, although there's still like other weird stuff. And I actually like the kind of other, like more morally ambiguous stuff. Like I like the whole thing with with Ansi and Malachi and all the, you know, other dude who wants to rob him and stuff just because like I, you know. Well, let's talk about all that. So so down, they're like doing this whole Moonspawn thing, which um, you don't know it's Moonspawn at first, I guess. Yeah. Um, Which was like super cool for me. It's like the spawns, right? And you're like, wow, these these weird islands now. And uh, totally fucking rips is my opinion. And I got to tell you i don't know what's going on in the rest of the books i'm gonna guess he doesn't show up because that's just how these books are but what's yeah. going on with orchid the character i'm now the most interested in ever and dude what's going on with her, like the you know steve cam stop the books we're only writing orchid stories from now on it's my official opinion i totally forgot about orchid honestly when i picked this book back up and i was like holy crap this is like that's what i'm saying that stuff is the bomb how she's like speaking high tist or whatever yeah, yeah. the old mother tongue and all that like the whole shade thing of mourn which there's like tons of possibilities of who that little dude is because he's been away for a long time and all that stuff yeah, so yeah. like there's the kind of draconis <laughs> speculation draconis randomly shows up too like what the fuck 
Um, yeah, dude, straight up, dude, nuts. And like, but she like speaks the language. She can like, she didn't even know she was like a curled Galane mage. And then she's like, oh, well, let me try this like incantation. Oh, you can see in the dark now. Like, hey, there you go. Like, oh, shit, I can. You've been mobbing around for like five days with this giant sword wound in your gut. She's like, let me see if I can say this thing and heal you. And then she's like, oh, shit, I could have healed you. Long ago. <laughs> it's like she's just uh, absolutely fascinating. And she always hedges. I love that, too. She's like the smartest, most badass one. She knows all this stuff. And she's like, try this. But it might not. No, no, she's no, like, no, it could no, be this. No, but no. I don't know. Yeah. Which is like a welcome change. Malzahn has so many mages that are like, you know what? I've lived for 10,000 years and I know better than you, you mortal fool. So refreshing. She's like a straight up regular person, second guesses herself, like has uncertainty. Imagine, you know, 100, so 100%. And it ends in like she goes off. She's going to go off to Coral, I guess. Um, and like learn more about Tistandi life. So like what's going on? And the reason I'm so frustrated and I want to know so bad is I am 99% sure we will never learn about this character again. Do you know what I mean? I hope you're wrong, but I I can't say one way or the other. Yeah, you know, so yeah, it's sad. She's she's badass, and she gives off Detoran vibes because she's supposedly all big too. So it's just like there's just all everything to love and nothing to not love about Orchid. Plus the name and how like Orchid is a Andy name and stuff. Like I just she's think she's just a, an obvious scene stealer. Do you know what I mean? Like if I, yeah. if this was a comic book, I would be like, let's get a like let's get the spinoff series about Orchid going. Do you know what I mean? Can we bring in a team of writers? Can I learn what she's doing? You know, and I love how they become like ride or die for her too. like even says like, yeah, we were there. But now we're like basically on Team Orchid and they don't even have really like a big agenda. They want to escape for themselves, but they're like, mostly we just want to be Orchid's bodyguards because she's just such a G. That whole sequence is like really just it, it is, I would say, probably the most I don't know, the Kiska thing, which we'll have to get to is also pretty detached yeah. from most of the action. But it yeah. is definitely just off doing its own thing in a way. Definitely. Oh. Yeah, it doesn't have like any, it's not like he wings back around with some like artifact for Moonshine and then that comes and be, you know, is the thing that kind of squares the circle or whatever. It's just like, yeah, that happened. That was also <laughs> but, happening. But it was dope. You know? Yeah. So let's let's actually jump into the shores of creation, whatever the fuck that <laughs> means, you know? Yeah. Um, the Veter and... Yeah, bro. Absolutely trippy stuff. I, first off, loved all of it. Was slightly annoyed by the Leoman mustache gag. I It wore thin on me. Yeah. But overall, loved the whole plot line. Loved the whole thing. Loved when they go to the Temple of Drek. Um, super cool scene. Um, yeah. And just, bro, it is just so trippy. I'm like, guys, what is going on? You know, it's like all of a sudden we're next to the Ocean of Light. This is the Ocean of Creation, of course. This is the Veter. Duh. And it's just saying all these things and it's coming at you so fast. And I'm just like, it, it feels like all of a sudden I'm in like a 70s sci-fi book or something. I mean, it's just like, yeah, what, like are, what are we talking about right now? You know, definitely. You feel like you ate acid when you read these chapters and stuff, because it's just like super gnarly. And there's so many questions, too. It's like, you know, how does it like I so vibe with what you said, because I have no idea. Like, this is like my third time reading this book. And I, you know, have more questions now about like, what is it? Dragon blood. And like, how does this relate to the stuff that we saw? I'm like trying to do the Carcanus. I'm like this, you know, always sunny in Philadelphia, like crazy, like conspiracy theory, drawing all these lines and trying to connect the dots. Cause it's just like, so abstract and you know it's like 100%. some of the dragons die but then he's just wading through but he's like a mortal and a regular dude but then like some of these gnarly like demons and other stuff can like totally get demolished by i don't know it's just nuts and makers they're chilling out like i guess 
I what, what I kind of respect, and I've always liked this, um, sometimes it's frustrating, and I do think it has its pitfalls, but obviously, and it's like especially highlighted in this section where they go to the Shorts Creation Theater, is like, I would say the book is almost aggressively uninterested in telling you anything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like They're I, not in a hurry to lay it all out. It's not formulaic uh, Sanderson where it's like this amount of this and then 20 liters of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, like I'm not like, I don't know. It, there's pros and cons to this type of thing. And it's just like representative of how I guess the two of them are approaching their storytelling in Miles Ann. But like I, in my opinion, a, a lesser author would try to explain to me what this place is or why it's important or like how it works or something you know and yep. frankly i don't give a fuck and yep. but the thing is i'm curious but if you started explaining it to me i'd be like ah this actually sucks shit i don't want to know you know yeah no i think they're smart to not do it because honestly like they wouldn't be able. it's better to leave it a big old giant question mark and this enigma and like it's easier for them i'm sure because like how you know what i mean the trying to fit, get into the physics of it that like kind of defeats the whole purpose of having this giant magical fucking hole in the world. And, right. And like, it's about, and it's really ultimately about Kiska and Tashrin, you know, and that's like right. what anchors that whole plot line. So I don't really think it hurts it. In fact, I think it's one of the best plot lines in the book. Um, and it's the only time I've ever liked Tashrin in the series is in this book. Yeah. This is the best Tashrin of all. Be- sure. Best Tashrin of all. And the ending with him is super cool. Honestly, I didn't get it until I read more about it online, but it was super cool yeah. to read about. Um, nuts trend yeah totally like trend now baby and so like yeah and that's what i wonder that's why it's such an enigma because like you see in carcanus like the veter is that like the thing that creates elder gods or like there's somebody who comes out who is an elder god is that like a process or is that just like happenstance like the dude's nuts so he's like obviously immune to everything and just epic even more op g'd up tashren than he was before, I thought Kiska was actually more interesting this time because of her own, like, internal conflict with herself of, like, dude, am I thirsting over this guy? Like, am I, is it daddy issue? You know what I mean? She's trying to, like, figure all that stuff out. Well, it's like, clearly she's, like, fixated on this thing. It's like, if I just do this with Taylor and if I just can rescue him, then, like, I guess everything will be okay. And it's like, she's obviously both pursuing that and interrogating what that question means and why she's so fixated on it, you know? Yeah. Totally. Because she had that like thing of idolizing him and stuff at Night of Knives, right? So she has this like sure, whole sure. kind of like predisposition of trying to like impress him or win his, you know, favor or whatever, because she then wants to be his bodyguard, I guess, during all that stuff. So, so there's always been a kind of win him over aspect. And I just loved her trying to like figure out like, dude, what is my deal with this guy? <laughs> yeah, I just I really like that plot line. I will say we mentioned the trend thing, which I guess technically the ending of this book with Tatian, yeah. I guess, is the only reason some people suggest to read this book somewhat in the main series, you know? Uh-huh. Which, to me, I just got to say, is absolutely insane bonkers shit, you know? I never have been a big propane, like proponent of trying to read stuff, even especially this, because like, even the authors don't say read this one after. They say, like, maybe if you want, go publication order and read return of the crimson guard after like told hounds or whatever i feel but, like, like I, i'm strongly at most return of the crimson guard is where i'm at at most yeah you know like i just i i yeah i don't i don't get it i think there's uh every reason to enjoy this after the fact because you know and there's a lot of questions like you want to know all the crippled god endgame stuff first and then go into this right because kroll still has a a piece of that but like you know because then you can start to ask what happens with Tayshren and like yeah the aquarium stuff in particular right because there's all the dust of dream stuff so it's like 
originally Kroll's like heart and veins and stuff are the Warrens, right? And so he's dead now. But Ikarium had that whole mechanism and all of his like coins and those new Warrens that he makes in Dust of Dream. So it's like, is that going to be Tayshren's going to be like the ruler over those new Warrens? Or I don't know. It's gnarly to think about, right? Because like Kroll's dead so that his heart can't be Starval Demolane and curled Ghislaine anymore, right? Or so I just don't know how any of that stuff works, but it's like that's my head's already type of stuff way over Peter's head, you know? Yeah, you know, and me too. That's why I love the Discord because there's like somebody in there who's like, oh, that's because this and that and this. Like Child of Honor guaranteed explanation coming down the pike stat. But that is like the crazy stuff to think about because there is all those new Warrens and, you know, who knows if we'll ever see those. I'm hoping they'll still keep writing. Yeah, I guess we'll see, right? I mean, this is our first time going. I don't know. Isn't some of, I guess some of the ice stuff is technically like post crippled God. So, yeah. Totally. I think this is like either contemporaneous or post. I read it as more contemporaneous-esque. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, maybe. I think Blood and Bone and Assail definitely are post for sure. Assail definitely thousand percent so i think this you know this one's either right there or just slightly later but that's why i say like read it after read the book of the fallen read the then read the the esselmont stuff and then go back and do all the prequels i don't for me that just like you can appreciate them more like even the ice stuff right you appreciate all the references because you already read the book of the fallen would you have appreciated this as much if you 100 now so yeah so so i i did want to touch on the school again so we mentioned that Our first, where the school are kind of bifurcated into two different plot lines. First into the Usyk stuff, um, yep. when like Usyk's guiding them up to the temple and stuff. Loved all that. Loved Usyk as a character yep. and loved having, because when we're from the second's point of view, it's like we're in the Segula and it's great to also have a stand in for us being an outsider of the Segula watching the Segula, which is of course typically yes. how we in- experience them yeah you get the inside and the and the outside and that's pretty pretty cool i like jan as a character you Mm. know such a like tragic character that sucks and like you know just gets absolutely crushed and again just like such a dope dude i love the jan intro scene right where it's like that the third challenges him and he's like bro don't make me destroy you in front of all these people like come on you know but then he has like no choice it's just like what an epic g yeah i just I just really liked, I really liked the second stuff. I really like how it ended with them, with this mask, this like old mask, the, the clear one from the clear to Rujistan stone. That was really cool stuff. Yeah. And then Traveler becoming like the number one, basically, right? Like, yeah. And, and so he's going to go start off, which he was already in his own like clan. Like they were basically already worshiping him up there in those huts as a god, basically. Right. Yeah. And then like, so, but he's like, I guess I'll go back into regular duty as a as a human i don't know i don't know i will say it kind of annoyed me that i guess they just like made dasum then like why isn't a segula i mean i don't know it feels like it's a job for a segula is how i feel you know yeah i don't know but i guess it's like well, and i think it's cool because he kind of needs them and they need him like he's just this totally like seems like broken person a little bit even though he's like the stoic kind of wise elder statesman now but no i do think it really jives and makes sense on like a thematic level and when you're there yeah. in the moment man it like you understand why and it's happening here i guess i just it's gonna be it feels a little i'm like what what's up though like you know they were perfect for each other because they're just such depressing you know tragic uh storylines themselves so they can go and kind of all cry into each other's beers together and stuff so it is crazy to think about what they'll do i mean like just be super sad (laughs) 
Yeah, because like they are still like epic badasses and stuff, but then like the the way that they just get so absolutely destroyed by the Maranth, like kind of you know, it's like not just good enough to be a dope swordsman, like you're not going to be like a kind of global force, right? Because sure. then like mages and and people with grenades will just take you down. So I don't know. It'll be funny to see if they do anything more with the the Segula. Now I don't know what else you could do. Maybe they're just totally done. Well, see, that's I don't know. It, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I, it, it just that's why I knew Orchid wouldn't come back. It's just like I feel like my gut tells me I don't really know why we'd see the Segula again. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. There's no reason, which begs the question: Should we ever see Dasim again? It's pretty much like. But see, I feel like the only reason we would see Sugula again is now because Dasim's there, and Dasim's like, yeah. you know, one of the big characters of the world. You know, maybe he's like reformed the society, and the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but interesting. Also, shout out the Dragnapur thing and the bolt. Shout out to Barathol. Just you know, love that Barathol love gets Barathol. a happy ending thing. So good. I want to make a video called Barathol's the best dad in the entire world because, like, that dude is just a straight up, you know, such a good guy. He's like doesn't zero resentment that his his partner isn't kind of stepped up to the plate or you know what I mean he doesn't even see it as a fair share I'm always like dude aren't you you know what I mean like you're doing all this stuff he's like working all night and then doing all this but he just like loves his wife so much he loves his kid so much that he just like and he just takes it all on the chin and I was like dude what a absolute heart of gold kind of guy which is like crazy because he's known as the you know the big betrayer and all that and he's sure. like still kind of you know so i i thought barathal is a he's like a minor character in this book but i that was one of my like favorite parts because he's just like here's this big old beefy badass dude could probably kick everyone's ass but he's like just this big old giant like softy you know it's like that's the type of characters I go for anyways. Like I uh, love Barathal. He's just been introduced in Bone Hunters and he like now they're just traveling with him and he's kind of emerging as a character in the series. And he just I've always loved him. And I just it's exactly what you said. He's just like a badass dude, but really, do you know what he does? He just like is trying to like be left alone and do his job and love his family. Do you know what I mean? That's all yeah. he's trying to do. But like fucking people won't let him be, you know? And he even thinks about like just going off. He's like, dude, I just want to like take my kid. He's like, I'll just go live in a hut in the middle of nowhere and like chill with my son the whole time. It's like, what a freaking bro, you know, yeah. like what a cool dude. hundred percent. And the thing is, usually in stories like this, like Barthol's like some, you know, guy, but now he just wants to live this separate life. But then the story's about how he's got to like pick up the gun again and go back and shoot the commies or whatever. You know, but it's like, no, it's like he returning to action is actually not a big part of his story at all. It's mostly about how how difficult it is for him to move on and for like to make this new life or what it means for him to start a family. The story is not about him learning to be a badass again, you know? Totally. It's like all about like, how can I, you know, make sure that I can just stay doing the nine to five grind? (laughs) Exactly. He's aggressively interested in doing the nine to five grind, you know? Yes. For sure. Um, so, which is, hey, you got to love them, right? It's like, that's how that's how you'd love to be. It's like, yeah, sure, I sit behind this computer and do these spreadsheets. But if I wanted to, I could go out and kick everyone's ass. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we busted through a lot of the storylines there. I, I, yeah. If I forgot any, you can let me know, but. No, it was pretty tight. There's only like a handful of those really good storylines, and they're all kind of centered around Darugistan for the most part, except for the red slash Ancy. How long were you fooled that it was Ancy? I guess they tell us pretty early on, right? Yeah, I I was fairly fooled because I I said I'm pretty dumb. So, uh, but uh, but it was great when I found out. You know, 
I never was that keyed in that Ansi had red hair. I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention. I knew he was kind of just like, I was more attitudinally <laughs> connected to him as just being the kind of butt of all the jokes that Picker and Blend used to do. Yeah, versus I, like, I, I was not like, he's a big red haired guy, you know? He's a ginger. Yeah, yeah. no, I didn't remember that. So, yeah. I got to say, no, there's, there's was... so many soldiers, a lot of their features blend together. You know, that one's, you know. Yeah. They, you, you remember them collectively for their dynamic. There's like groups that have a certain dynamic and stuff. Yeah. So. You remember them in pairs or in this, you know, whatever. I will say, I want to talk about the ending a bit. You know, I think part of the reason I think the book's so successful is mm-hmm. to contrast it to, against Return of the Crimson Guard, a book I like, but I characterized as being pretty messy, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think Return of the Crimson Guard is has so much on its plate. And when it comes to its ending, it's really trying to do this huge come together type of thing that most of the Book of Fallen books do. And yeah. I think what kind of is really effective about this is the ending of this book, I would say, does have like a culmination, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I don't feel like it's trying to be this. It's like a culmination of a few of the storylines and then. Some of the other storylines or this other thing. I don't know. I just think the ending's really strong because it's not trying to do everything. Totally. It just like kind of closes the story. It was like, hey, there's this like big force that came to take over and change everything. And then here's how it ended up. And like, you know, you kind of see it from a couple different angles, but it's just like a boop, button it up, call it a day. And and you get that kind of closure and and catharsis and stuff. And then, like you said, it just it just kind of closes the story that the book starts to tell in the prologue, I think, which is kind of kind of cool. Yeah, I feel like that's why I feel like this is probably the most successful book for me is because I feel like so like here's the thought I have about the main series. I I call it that we we know about how we talk feel about that phrase, but it's just it is what it is. Like the Book of the Fallen, I think, is a series that succeeds but is like way its ambitions are incalculable and yes uh, 100% so and and probably to its death like it it isn't going to do it because what it wants to do is like an impossible thing you know what I mean right like it's just like it's really hard to write three million words that are going to do all of this do you mean it's like a huge task I think it's a pretty successful series just like its ambitions are huge oh yeah and I feel like this book to me, succeeds so much because I feel like just the ambition is like it's just shooting to tell a smaller story in a way. And I think it lands it much better and it resonates. And I think it's well written, you know? Yeah, no, I I think you're absolutely right. He goes out and he sets out to do something. He wants to tell the tale of these you know, this this place, this group of people, he wants to tell the Segula backstory and just the kind of broader Genabacus story. And he tells it and he finishes it. Right. And he did, you know, achieves what he set out to do. And he does so in a kind of fun, you know, lasers, fireballs, all kinds of crazy, super uh, badass and actually cohesive way. They all kind of like fit together. They're all kind of like, you know, different camera angles on basically the central action without the with the exception of the antsy stuff, which, like you said, is kind of out there on its own, but then still just kind of fun. So it is it's just kind of like you get a 360 degree view of this kind of bigger narrative set of events that are all happening in this chronology. So. Here's an here's an almost insane take. I feel like part of the appeal of the Darugistan setting, as we were talking about, is there's like a slice of life element to it. Do you mean? Mm-hmm. I don't really feel like I'm reading a plot or a story. It's just like, well, here's what's going on in the city. And like you, the thing is, and I don't know why I think that. I have no idea because I got to tell you, obviously, there's a whole plot. There's a villain. There's all these heroes, you know, right. <laughs> like yeah. there's a there, it, it, there's in both. I mean, told the hounds ends with the whole fucking thing, you know, but 
I don't know, something just, there's something inherently mundane to it about it. And I think that's what I feel like grounds me and makes me feel like this story is just about everyday life and not like about, I don't know, the end of the world and metaphors, you know. Totally. For the most part, the characters are everyday people, right? It's not like Memories of Ice where it's like you're constantly going back and forth from a whiskey jack to a Kaladin brood, like all these, you know, people of huge consequence and so... Uh, you know, contemplative and, and philosophical. It's like, this dude's a bartender. This guy works at a job in a forge, right? Like, sure. even, even Humble Measure, who's like this crazy kind of manipulator pulling all these strings behind the scenes. He's just like a dude working. He's like, works behind his desk. You know what I mean? It's not like there's all these crazy, mythical, gnarly people, with the exception of like the, the 12 demons or whatever. Sure, there's a few, the but it's funny yeah. you mentioned Humble Measure to kind of sidetrack in a way, but you know, I had only, you know, I had obviously only seen Humble Measure and Told the Hounds. And in that book, yeah. he plays such a weird role. Do you mean, I almost yeah. feel like he plays like a, a Lucifer-esque role. Do you mean like, yeah, he's just like this shadowy figure. He like is standing for running away from your past for these bridge burners, you know, and like he's just kind of this shadowy puppet master that doesn't really get resolved at all. Totally. You don't know what his what his kind of goal is, right? What's his agenda and all that? It's just he's just a sketchy, weird, hard to figure out dude. Yeah, and I think he's mostly serving that symbolic role, right? And it's so it's kind of right. weird for him here to be like kind of just like a dude, <laughs> you know? And, yeah, and especially totally. then when he's like p- pissed at Lim for like quasi betraying him, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, he's like, oh, I thought we were going to go against the Malazans. Now you're going for total world domination, bro. Yeah. And it's like, this is such like a petty human concern, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's so kind of funny. It's like it's a, such a heel turn from what Tolda Hounds is like, you know. I know he's he's just a weird character in general because it's like he's just on like such a crazy like Crimson Guard-esque mission for some reason, you know, but it's like, but he's this like totally rich dude, like everything's going pretty good for him i don't know i don't i don't totally get the same like deep-seated kind of deal where he's like such a driven to this objective i, I don't know sure yeah. he's not the best villain he's just kind of a weird side dude to me i, I agree i think he's an interesting presence in told the hounds i mean, he's like kind yeah. of a quasi villain i would say but um i don't know villain's a word yeah but Anyway, so uh, listen, that's that's a whole bunch of thoughts about Orb Scepter Throne. I, I wonder if you have anything you want to put the pin in, closing thoughts about the book, about our conversation, revisiting it. No, I'm just really excited to keep going. There's a lot of cool, you know, Blood and Bones, a weird one. So it's going to be interesting to hear what you say about that. But then I'm really excited to finish off the series because I think all the stuff that you like about Orb Scepter Throne is going to be a lot of the stuff that you like you know, in a sale with the closure and the fact that he just kind of is able to put a bow on all this stuff and, you know, and, uh, and so that we can get our, our Kyle fix back going again, that'll be exciting. So it's been a lot of fun, but I think, you know, people are going to be pumped to read this because, or, you know, obviously everyone listening to this already read it because we just spoiled everything, but it's like, I think where he, again, finds his sea legs and like takes the best of everything that he's done in the other three books up to this point and is able to kind of uh, put them all together into a, into a nice little finished product here. Yeah. I mean, did it with a lot of what you said. I think, as I said before, easily the best out of these three Esselman books I've read so far. Yeah. Um, I would say not even, and I, I, it's not even, I don't like those books. I just like, that's how strongly I feel about this book. I feel like it's not 100%. even a competition. And 
you know, I'm just stoked to be reading new Mouse handbooks in a way and to be having that type of surprise again. So I'm, you know, I, I've, I've always heard mixed things about Elselman in general and mixed things about Blood and Bone. I know people yep. don't like that book, I feel. You're either a love it or a hate it. I think it's polarizing for sure. Um, so I'm interested to see what I feel. But I got to say, I, you know, I know everyone, I would say it's funny. Because obviously, yeah. this is a big Malazan show. You're a big Malazan YouTuber. And like, pretty much everyone who's listening to the show is probably a big Malazan fan, you know? Right. Um, but I guess some part of me f- still feels like I'm taking a contrarian position by saying this book's really good and Esselmont's really good. And I know it's not that contrarian because I'm in like a room full of Malazan fans, you know? But- yeah, but he doesn't get the same level of like love and devotion that Erickson seems to get. And he kind of always seems to be playing second fiddle in the fandom, like in the Facebook groups and stuff like yeah. that. So I feel you. I'm happy. That's why I love doing the series with you, honestly, because it's like shining a spotlight, especially in this one where it's it's really well deserved because he, he knocked this one out of the park. So like you kind of explain away some of the other stuff like, yeah, but you get good lore and Return of the Crimson Guard. You get to find out a lot of backstory and like this one, there's no, you don't have to explain anything. It's just straight up legit good. Uh, That's exactly it. This is the first book. Like I feel that way about Malazan. If someone asked me about Malazan, I would honestly have a very hedging answer about whether they would like to read it or not, you know? Right. Because it really would depend. You got to be ready for this. It's that. You got all this hardcore stuff. It's contemplative. But then there's like these books in Malazan. Like if someone asked me whether they should read Memories of Ice, I I, like there's no, I'm just like, you'd have a great time. Read the book. No questions asked. Do you mean? Yeah. And I, but like, you know, that's a separate question in the whole series, right? But that's a separate thing. But this is all to say, this is the b- first book of Esselmont's I would unequivocally recommend 100%. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I really up. like Return of the Crimson Guard, but if someone asked me if they should read it, I'd be like, mm, eh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like, think about these things and then make a decision. Where this book, full stop, check it out. Awesome book. 10 out of 10, out of 10 great time you know, would recommend. Yeah, exactly. They ask you, you do a cartwheel, you do a little dance and you hand them the book. I'm like, check it out. There's a fucking robot in it and like a bunch of other cool shit, bro. You're going to have a good time. Straight up. Yeah. So honestly, it makes me excited to read Blood and Bone. You know, I know we just joke, we are, I mentioned people's reputation about, but I don't know. I'm so hot on it right now. And it makes me excited to read more about other Esselmont books, you know, because I feel like yeah. he's grown so much in these first four. I'm like, makes me curious about what Path to its Ascendancy is like or these other things, you know? So, yeah, very no, curious. It's going to be a rip roaring time, my friend. It's It's been fun and it's going to it's gonna be even more fun as we go deeper. So I'm excited. Well, thanks so much for uh, being on the show today. Uh, if you don't subscribe to Iskar Jarek's channel, you can find him at youtube.com slash Iskar Jarek. Yep. And uh, check it out. Puts up a lot of great Malazan videos. And um, I think he's just putting out some videos about God is Not Willing. That'll be out soon. Yep. And uh, let us know what you think of the show. We're 10 Very Big Books on Twitter and Gmail. And we'll be back in about a month or two months to talk about book five of the novels of the Malazan Empire, Blood and Bone. Woot. I think well, I actually know nothing about that book. They, I know they go to a jungle continent. This is all I know. Jackaruku. Yeah. We're going so to Jackarooks. Go, that's right. Yeah, it's going to be dope. And you like Toll the Hound, so it's going to be fun. I have to tell you, I've always resented Jackaruku because its name sucks shit. And I hate saying its name. And I hate it's just it's tough name. Tough name. Yeah. Totally. Well, that's like the place that uh, they scored, they burn to the ground in the Memories of Ice prologue. So yeah. Just destroy fun. it. All right. Well, uh, I look forward to talking to that again, Eskar. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. See ya.
Hello, everybody. AJ here, producer and editor of 10 Very Big Books. Thank you so much for listening to the fourth episode of Discussions of the Malazan Empire. A special shout out as well to Iskar Jarek for taking this journey with Peter. It's always great to have him on the show. You can check Iskar out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Iskar Jarek. He also has a Discord server, subreddit, Facebook page, Patreon, and merch store, all of which will be linked in the show notes. If you'd like to join the 10 Very Big Books Discord, you can head on over to bit.ly slash VBB Discord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D, Discord. That link will also be in the show notes, along with the link to our Patreon, patreon.com slash 10 Very Big Books, if you'd like to support the show there. Uh, this series and all of our bonus content is made possible by our wonderful patrons, so thank you all so much for allowing us to do more and continue to grow the show. Of course, I want to thank my good friend Bokeh for allowing us to use his song Winter off the album Demos and Singles 2016 to 2020. You can follow him on Twitter at Brendan Bigley and check out his podcast that I also produce over on IntoTheCast.online. And finally... A huge, gigantic thanks to our romper connoisseur, Scout Wilkinson, for making our absolutely incredible episode art. You can check out more of her work on Twitter at HumbleGoat and maybe even get a commission of your own on her coffee page, ko-fi.com slash HumbleGoat. All of those links, of course, will be in the show notes. And Pete and Iskar will be back in a couple of months with the next discussions of the Malazan Empire, where they will be talking about Blood and Bone by Ian Cameron Esselman. I'll talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>